Welcome to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. So he's my savior. He's my provider. He's my protector. He's my friend. A lot of things that I knew about Jesus, but it was always in relation to me. So something happened. One was I read the passage in Matthew chapter 17. It's called the Transfiguration, Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe we're not going there now. We're going to Revelation. I'm just building up to chapter 5 of Revelation. And what, but what happened in chapter 17 was of Matthew was that Jesus changed, um, what's the English? He changed in appearance. And a light shone from, from him, not on him, but from him. That was the first thing. Second thing is two dead people appeared with Christ on the mountain called Elijah and Moses. And then a third thing happened. And that was when God spoke from heaven in an audible voice saying two critical things. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What is extraordinary about well, many things are extraordinary about that situation, but the fact that God did not say something about Jesus in relation to the three disciples who were present. He did not tell them who Jesus is for them. He told them who Jesus is for him. That is mind-blowing. He didn't say, there is Christ, there is Jesus, your Savior, and that he is. He said, that is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That is phenomenal. Is that a word? Yes. Just came to me now. <laughs> that is powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Of all the things God could have said to the three disciples there on the mountain, he only told them two things. One, he told them who Jesus is. And two, he told them, commanded them to obey him. That's the, it's the only two things we need to know. I mean, just think about all the stuff you know. All the things you know. I studied theology for 12 years. It's possible. It was a diploma. <laughs> I mean, just think of all the things you've heard, the seminars, the studies, the Bible studies, all the things you know. Of all the things you know, God says there are only two things that are important. One, who is the Son? Two, do what he says. Those are the only two things. Do you realize that that is what church is about? Knowing the Son and obeying him. That is what, why we're together. We're here to edify one another. In what way? According to the Son. That's how we edify. That's how we bemudach. What's the English word for that? Hey, thank you. That's how we encourage one another. How we say to one another, keep your eyes on the sun. 
Run this race with full hardening. Thank you. Persistence. <laughs> this is my dictionary right here. Thank you, buddy. Run the race with persistence. That's how we encourage one another. How do, do we admonish one another? We say, do not drift away from the sun. Do not drift away. Run towards. That's, that's, that's how we do it. And we learn from him together how to obey him. In all the different situations that we encounter in life, including paying your taxes. Including how you treat your enemies. Especially how you treat your enemies. You see, we are students of Christ. That's what the word Christian actually means. It means to be a slave of Christ, a disciple, a student. We are not students of a system. We are not students of the church. We are not students of the pastor or the duomni. We are students of Christ. That is what Christianity is about. It's about Christ. So I had this misconception that everything is about me. And I am the center of the universe because God cannot help himself but to always think about me. Really? Really? Let me tell you something about you. <laughs> you are not as bad as you think. You are much worse. And that, you know, is true. If you're married, ask your spouse for confirmation. But you know that is true. So for years, I have tried to better myself, to feel better about myself. I'm talking as a Christian, to speak nicely about myself and view myself in a, in a good light. And, and I had good intentions or reasons why I did that. But here is the one thing that I never managed to do. I never managed to see myself through the eyes of God. Even though I said I did, it wasn't true. And then something remarkable happened. As the Holy Spirit started to unveil, let's use that word, to unveil the Son to me, and I saw the glory of Christ and His power and His identity, I also learned who I am in the light of Christ. And it was totally different than anything else I've experienced before. And I've been a pastor for 30 years. And that is, that is the main message. Do you know who the Son is? The Son. The one of whom God said, this is my beloved. It's such, it's so it's a very intimate way of saying something. This is my, 
my beloved son. Usually we read that as an epitaph on a gravestone. Here lies our beloved mother. Very few people hear that in real life. But here God says, he's not ashamed to thunder it from the mountain. My beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Let me just ask you a last question before we read the passage. I suddenly realized we're busy with Revelation. <laughs> I, we live in Hermanus. It's a very small, ugly little town where nobody wants to live. And my wife and I said, we'll be, you know, the minister and we will go and live there. <laughs> so I was on the beach and I was looking at the waves. I'm a very keen diver. I've been a scuba diving instructor for a couple of years. And I was on the beach and I was thinking this major question. And the question was, why did God create creation? Why did he create all this? I've been below the waves. I have seen the world there. Most people who have beach houses have never seen the world below the waves. And they will never. Why did God create stuff that people might never see? And still he created it with so, so much beauty and splendor. Why did he do that? Do you know that the Bible has an answer? So if I ask congregations, why did God create the universe? Why did he create creation? They would say something like, to demonstrate his glory or because of his love for us. Then I remind them, but we're part of creation. Why did he create creation? Do you know that in Colossians chapter 1, verse, I think it's 16. Yes, it's 16. It says that God created everything for the Son. And there it's written. Through him and for him, everything was created. The sun is the center of the universe, S-O-N. The son of God is the reason why everything exists. The reason why we are here is for the benefit of the sun. For the enjoyment of the sun. He's the reason for everything. Not only is he the reason for everything, but he's the means of everything. And not only the reason and the means, he's also the caretaker and stunthower in Afrikaans of everything. Everything is about the sun. Now, in the passage we're going to read right now, I'm going to take you to what Luke said at the start of the service or at the end of the worship. He had this story about the veil that was torn. And the, the believers in 95 AD, who suffered greatly under a um, Roman emperor by the name of Domitian, had the need to see what is beyond the veil. They suffered and they had pain. And they wanted to know, is God really in control? Where is he? Why doesn't he stop evil? 
If he can do anything, why does he permit evil to continue? Isn't that a question that's very relevant in our day as well? So what happened in chapter 4 of Revelation? Jesus showed John what the throne room looks like. And the first thing that John saw was a throne and somebody sitting on the throne. And what a powerful image of God who is in control, who is first of all holy, who doesn't tolerate anything that is not holy, and who judges everything that is not holy, and also his absolutely amazing grace. And we saw, we saw the 24 elders or the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ from Adam right through the ages. And maybe that could be a question later. How could we speak of the Old Testament as the body of Christ as it hasn't been born yet? What a beautiful question. So you can write that down for one. But then, then we saw the angel saying, um, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and everybody fall on their faces and worship God. That was scene one, chapter four. The next scene that happens is chapter 5. And I want to read this with you so that you can see. So what Jesus does, or what John sees, is the situation uh, just before the death of Jesus on the cross. What happened at the cross, or what happened as Luke described, the, tor the tearing of the veil, where God made the Holy of Holies accessible to, to humans. Now, now, let's start with verse 1. Sorry, I just want to see the time. All right. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Okay, so we don't have a, a lot of time to explain the symbolism of revelation. So I'm just going to say this. There are two kinds of symbolism in the book of Revelation. The one is a I think you, you, in English you would say a topical um, symbolism that has to do with, no, it's not topical. Now you have to help me. It has to do with things, like um, it will be a vase or a light or a scroll. What do you call those things? Oh, thank you. Yes, that's the, exactly the word I was looking for, object symbolism. And then you have um, cipher symbolic, number symbolism. So here in this scene, we have both of them. We have a scroll and we have the number seven. The number seven in Revelation means complete or fully or perfect. And the scroll, we'll see now what it means. So here we have a scene. So just, just try to picture this. You see the throne of God, God on the throne, and God is holding in his right hand a scroll. He's holding the scroll. He's in control of the scroll. And this scroll is sealed with seven seals, meaning perfectly, fully sealed. Nobody can peek into the scroll. The scroll is written on the inside and outside. So there's a lot written on the scroll. And God holds it in his right hand, which is a symbol of his authority and his power. God holds the scroll. The question is, what is written in the scroll? And why is it sealed? So in the next verse, we read the following. You'll get the answer right now. It says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth 
or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And let's just read one more verse. So I wept much. Now, John saw many things during this revelation. He never cried except here. Why did John cry when he saw this? He, he grasped something of the meaning of the scroll and its contents that were sealed. And it made him to weep greatly. What was this? Another thing. This strong angel said, we are looking for someone who is worthy to open the scroll. He did not say, Somebody who is strong enough or clever enough, he said, worthy. That is a very specific description. It's somebody has to qualify in a very special, specific way to have access to the scroll that is in the right hand of God to open the seals and read the contents. So they sought for somebody. Someone who might be worthy, who will qualify to take the seal or this, 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 um, the scroll. So who were they looking for? Well, first of all, they were looking for a human. A very specific human. What kind of human? There are only one kind. The human kind. No. Yes, it's true, but they were looking for a sinless human. Why sinless? Because this situation in the throne room takes us back to Genesis chapter 3 and something that was written in Jeremiah chapter 32. What happened in Genesis chapter 3? I will just refresh your memory. It was the Garden of Eden, where Satan enticed, I think, or tempted Eve to eat of the fruit and to disobey and rebel against God. Now, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 that the moment that Eve and Adam disobeyed God, they became slaves of sin. And something happened. It was explained in Jeremiah 32, so I'm quickly glossing over it. And you can read it at home, maybe, if you remember. In Jeremiah chapter 32, God gives Jeremiah the command and said, his cousin will come to him with an offer to buy his property. And he must buy it. When the cousin comes, God said, you will know it's I who sent him. Buy the property. But it was foolish to buy property because it was just before the Babylonian captivity. To buy property just before they take you captive is not a wise investment. So after God told this to Jeremiah, he heard a knock on the door. It's almost like Peter in Acts with Cornelius. And there was his cousin. And his cousin came with this proposition don't you want to buy my property? And it says Jeremiah then realized it was God. So he said, certainly I will buy your property. 
So they went to the, the attorneys of the day and they had this document set up and signed. And then they had it sealed and they hid it. For what reason? So that 70 years later, Jeremiah, being an old man, will return to Jerusalem. And everybody will be uh, without property and without possessions, but he will have the deed to land. That's quite amazing, because this scene in Revelation chapter 5 reminds the Jewish readers of Jeremiah 32. And the fact that Adam sold what God has given him and sealed it and gave it away through his disobedience. And there God was holding the scroll. And God's purposes, and sorry I don't know the English and I don't think you would either, is Furnimans. I don't know if you know by chance what that is, but I don't think you will. What is it? Yes, that word, I couldn't hear it, but if it's correct, use it. <laughs> and God's purposes and intentions sealed. Sealed. Man sold himself as a slave, and it was sealed. And man brought himself under the judgment of God, the same God that created him. He will be judged and destroyed. The only person who can open, take the scroll and open the seals and bring God's purposes and intentions back was a human. A human sealed it and only a human can open it. But the person to qualify would be a human without sin. So they were looking for somebody. A human without sin. And they couldn't find one anywhere and John saw this and he wept why because it's nearly for for the humans there's no way how the blessing and the purposes and intentions of God can be on the humans they sold themselves as slaves to sin standing under the fear of God's holy judgment to be destroyed for eternity So while John was weeping, somebody from around the throne came to him. And I want you to read it with me. Verse 4. So I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns seven eyes, 
which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is riveting stuff. So John heard he was weeping because of the calamity that befell the human race. And someone from the throne said, we have found one who is worthy, one from among you, a, a human. The lamb or the lion, he called him, a lion from the tribe of Judah. And what a relief to John, because if there is something they need, and that's a lion. I mean, come on, not only the calamity of the human race, but the problem of Domitian in Rome. The one that discriminates against them and kills them and martyrs them. He needs or they need a lion. Give us a lion. I mean, we need a lion. We're fond of the lion. If he's on our side, not in the arena, of course. We're not fond of lions. But the lion on our side. I mean, when we have a chance to... To show our strength, let's say it's in the army, we have badges, shoulder flashes and, and beret badges that portrays um, our strength. It's either teeth or horns or nails or something fierce like flaming daggers or eagles. I mean, so they told John about the lion and he looked around. To look at the lion and the shock of his life. Because right in the middle of the throne where the lion is supposed to be, there is, and it's written in Greek this way, a very small lamb that was slaughtered, throat slit. Have you ever seen a lamb with its throat slit? Have you ever seen a little lamb with its throat slit in the middle of a throne? No. Let me tell you something about that scene. When God had the opportunity to showcase his power, he did not use an eagle or horns, or nails, or teeth. He used a little lamb that is no threat to anybody. And not just a little lamb, a little lamb that was slaughtered. And you look at the little lamb, and you're thinking, how pathetic, how weak. And you do not realize that through the Lamb, the lion roars. And only through the Lamb. If you do not understand the Lamb, you will never understand the lion. The only one that is after the lion without the Lamb, do you know who that is? It's your and my flesh. Ons vlees 
our own selfishness. We want the power without the sacrifice. We want the roar. We want to be somebody. What is that song? There's a secular song that says, um, you will hear me roar. <laughs> That's what we want. We want to be heard. Uh, you will not trade on me anymore. You know, voila, voila, I will roar. <laughs> so tell me, the believers walking into the Colosseum, to be devoured by wild animals. Tell me how strong they are. Tell me how intimidating they are. How powerful they are. How they walk in the Colosseum. And just proclaim the name of the Lord. They don't. They die. And where's the power in that? Be very careful. Be very careful. Where is the power in the lamb that was slain? How is that powerful? Well, ask Satan three days later. Ask him how he defeated the lamb. And there, on the throne of the universe sits the slain lamb. Counted worthy to take the scroll, open its seals, and proclaim the word and the purposes and intentions of God. Tearing the veil from top to bottom, opening up a new way from you to the throne room. So that you can worship God and submit to Him and be called slaves of righteousness instead of slaves to sin. That is so powerful. And, and this scene ends with the following. It says, Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. What a scene. What a scene. <laughs> what a scene. We are students of the Lamb. And you know what is so remarkable about this? All the breakthroughs in my life happened in the way of the Lamb. 
That's why the gospel is about laying down your life and not taking it up. It's the way of the Lamb. That's so powerful. I see my time has gone. It's so powerful. Lord Jesus, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for opening up a new and living way. Thank you for tearing the veil. Thank you for being worthy, laying down your life, qualifying, taking the scroll, opening its seals. We worship you tonight as the judge of heavens. You are the judge. I is die rechter van die nasies van die aarde. You are the chief executive officer presiding over everything so that you will be the first in everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can be associated with you. Thank you that we can be your students. Thank you that you have bought us with your blood and redeemed us and saved us and reconciled us to God. Lord Jesus, I do not know the people in front of me. I do not know their lives. But I ask that through your Spirit, you will reveal to them the power and the majesty of the Lamb of God. May they hear the roar, not of their own doing, but the roar of the Lamb, the Lion of Judah. May they see His glory. May their eyes and their hearts be opened to experience and understand the power of the center of the universe, the beloved Son of God. Worship you for that. Jesus. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Tune in again next week, and we hope you have a great day.